Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9 this morning. Um, this passage I'm about to read to you, um, this little section I'm preaching, I, I'm enjoying preaching Mark, but this little section I'm preaching, it feels like as I'm preparing the sermons to give to you, um, there's some stark and jarring words that Jesus is giving. You'll see that as we read them. In fact, if you think these are stark and jarring, wait till we get to next week. Next week we're going to be in chapter 10. And if you want to see this preacher sweat as he tries to articulate Jesus' theology of marriage and divorce, y'all come on, let's talk about that next Sunday. But all of this is done in the context of him saying, listen, you're to be my followers. You're my disciples. That's what he's been talking about really since the middle of chapter 8. You're my disciples. He's talking to, the, to his disciples, and I think by extension he's talking to us. He's saying, you're my disciples. You're the followers of me, and I want you to know, I want to give you, I want to provoke your thinking. You know, sometimes you need to be shaken a little bit. Just need to be kind of Let's still hope we're not actually slapping anybody, but just sort of mentally slapped across the face. Like, hey, wake up, man, wake up. That's what you need a little bit. Sometimes you need that. And that's what Jesus is doing, is he's trying to make us examine what the true cost is involved with being a follower of him. There are too many people in that day, and there's definitely too many people in this day, who will try to preach to you that to follow after God means everything is going to be perfect and wonderful and glorious and shiny and bright. All of your dreams will come true. And Jesus is saying, that might be something somebody else is saying to you, but I'm Jesus, I'm the Lord of creation, you're wanting to follow and be my disciple, this is what it looks like. And so we begin in Mark chapter 9, we're going to pick up in verse... 42. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read the Lord's words, simply out of reverence for the reading of God's word. And we want to read beginning in verse 42, starting there and going all the way down to the end of the chapter in verse 50. Here's what the Lord says. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than to have, having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith shall you see, will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. 
Let's pray together. Lord, I just read in the presence of your people, your words. I'm going to ask that you will take them and make them effective. I want to ask that you will help me as I try to explain them. Help me not to inject my opinion. Help me not to gloss over the hard parts. Help me to make it clear what your word is saying. And Lord, this is not a possible task at all without your Holy Spirit. He must be present with us. I pray that he will be participating in this service, both anointing me with the, as I say things to try to help these people understand what the Lord is telling us, but also to these people as they hear your words. Please convict, please correct, please comfort. Lord, you know what we need. Point us in the direction of being the followers of Jesus that I believe that every person that's gathered here really does want to do. Help us to do that in the name of Jesus. We ask this. Amen. You all can be seated. If you want to be a true disciple of Jesus... Jesus says in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34 that that means you're willing to deny yourself. That means you're willing to head for your own death to take up your cross and follow him. He says in so many words, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, it's not about you anymore. It's no longer about you. Your life is not about you. It's not about what you need. It's not about your rights. It's not about your desires. Your life is now centered around what the master, the one you're following, what the master's will is. That's what, what your life is about. It's about not your kingdom, how you can build your wealth and your prestige and your influence. It's about the master's kingdom. How can you contribute to the kingdom of God? Real discipleship then, if you think about what I just said, if you actually believe what I just said, then you understand that real discipleship, meaning you truly want to be a follower of Jesus, real discipleship is going to require some very real sacrifices. That's what that means. I can't imagine there's a person in this room that says, yep, I'm good with it not being about me. I like hurt I like going through pain. I like contributing to other people's success at my own demise. I like to do that. Nobody likes to do that. That's not how we're wired. We're all about ourselves. And I'm not saying that is necessarily a good or a bad thing. That's just how humanity is built. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to put that off to the side. You're going to have to no longer make it about you. It is now about me. It is about the Savior. So if you're a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus, he says there's some sacrifices you're going to have to make. The first sacrifice he talks about in verse 42, he says if you're going to be a true follower of Jesus, you're going to have to stop being a stumbling block. You're going to have to stop being one who trips other people up. He talks about offending these little ones, these little ones. Who are the little ones that he has in mind? Well, the little ones, primarily, I think we can interpret this to understand that he's talking about other believers, Christians. That's probably his primary, primary uh, implication there. But the, the term, the little ones, he's talking about the little sheep. We understand from some other gospels, he's talking about the little, little lost lambs. He's talking about those sheep. And those are the people that Jesus came to seek and to save. Do you know who Jesus came to seek and to save? Well, he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save the weak ones, those who are on the edges of society. He came to seek and to save those that everybody else has cast out. He came to seek and to save 
the children. He came to seek and to save the elderly. He came to seek and to save all of these people who the society might look at and say, they're not that important. He came to, for those people. That's who he's talking about. He says those people he came to seek and to save. Those people he was willing to leave the 99 behind in order to go find the one. That's who he's going for, those little ones. He tells us in verse 37, we've preached about this before, but back packing you up for a few verses. In verse 37 he says we're to receive them. What that means essentially is we're supposed to accept them. Not, not, not putting up with sin, not saying that everything, anything anybody does is okay. That's not the point. It's not the message. But the message is we're not to reject them. We're to love them. We're to embrace them. We're to bring them to Jesus. We're to bring the little ones to Jesus. That's what we're to do. We are to receive them. He says in verse 41, just before the passage we read, that we're even to serve them, even to bring a, a drink of water, a little cup of water in the name of Jesus. That alone, it, it, that's worthy. That's, that is amazing to do that. As long as we're serving and we're accepting in Jesus' name, he says that's what we ought to be about. And if we're going to be, if Jesus cares about the little ones, we need to care about the little ones. What does that mean to care about them? Look what he says there in verse 42. Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones. What is this idea of offending one? It's not just hurting their feelings. That's not the word that he's meaning there. The word that's underneath that, you might even put in there the idea of scandalizing or causing to sin. Doing something that actually causes or leads them down a path of sin. He says, if you're going to be the kind of person that lives the life you want to live, and it doesn't matter to you how you affect these little ones, he says there, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. He says the stakes are too high for a follower of Jesus to go about living his life in a way that doesn't matter what other people are watching him and, they're lead, and he's leading them astray. He says that the stakes are too high for that. He was better off dead. I mean, I can't imagine any other outcome if you put a millstone around your neck and you go in the middle of the sea. Other outcome other than being dead. That's just what happens when that happens. He says, I think you're better off dead. In fact, not only are you better off dead because you're leading these people to sin, you're actually identifying yourself as someone who is not a follower of Jesus. Because what does a follower of Jesus do? He receives the little ones. He serves the little ones. He doesn't live a life that leads them into sin leads them astray you see we are to be if we're to be followers of jesus we're to be people who point to jesus not away from jesus now what i just said should not be that controversial but for some reason our christianity and i if i could as i speak put some quotations around that word christianity our christianity today too often prioritizes my rights my liberties my comforts, my convenience over anybody else. And y'all know this, I almost don't even have to say it, it's a running joke in most churches, probably definitely most Baptist churches, most regular churches that I'm aware of, it's a running joke. Don't take my seat. Y'all know that? I don't, I, that's all, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you've been there, you've done that. And that is a small tip of the iceberg, silly example of what I'm talking about. We are so quick to say, this is mine, this is who I am, this is what I want. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, those things are supposed to take the back seat. Your lust, which is the Bible word that just encompasses all the stuff you want, your lust don't have a part in this anymore. It is no longer about what you want. How many of the little ones have we hurt because we are so focused on our needs? Just to make it very pointed, and I realize that I'm speaking on a Sunday morning to a broader crowd than just McConnell Road Baptist Church members, but if I can't talk to y'all on a Sunday morning, I don't know when I can. So let me just tell you this, or let me ask you this. How many of our young people, younger people, who grew up in this church or have at some point been associated with this church, or maybe even be with us now in this congregation setting, have we hurt, led astray, and have caused to no longer be that interested in participating in God's church? There was a 2019 study by Lifeway, the Christian publishing house. They discovered that two-thirds of the young people who attended church on a regular basis in their youth, two-thirds of them chose not to even go anywhere. It's a pretty drastic drop-off. Do you know what the number, well, the top three reasons were for, for that, the causes given? I can tell you one of them was not on the list, interestingly, even though this is immediately where we think, because we're more of a traditional church here in our music styles and things like that. But you know what was not on the top of the list or anywhere on the list? Music style. Because, by the way, if you really are interested in one music style or another, you're going to find a church that has the music style that you're really interested in. Can I just level with you on that? And you're going to go to church. That's not going to keep you out of church. There's plenty of churches out there of all sorts and types. But you know what keeps people away from church? Young people particularly? Hypocrisy. Not being connected with the people in the church. And interestingly, the political stands of the church. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? That there are people who don't come to church because the person over next to them makes too big of a deal about their political position that is not ground in the Scripture. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? That there are people who won't come to church because they know that you're a hypocrite. Now, now, now you may say, well, like, like I want to do, this is, my, this is my reaction. Can I just give you my reaction? Well, everybody's responsible for their own choices. They have to make their own choices. And you're right. They will face the judgment of God for what they do or do not do with Jesus Christ. You are absolutely right. But did you know that God has placed a group of people on this earth let me tell you, it's called the church, that are supposed to be his representation of Jesus Christ, They're supposed to show the love of God to those people. He even said that they're going to know who you are because how much you love each other. Those are the people that you're going to be able to identify as Jesus's people because they love each other. But for some reason, we have made our discipleship about what we need and what we want and how I feel. If we're marked more by those that we hurt and point away from Jesus than by those we point to him. Are we really disciples of Jesus Christ or are we doing something else? Again, we, I, don't, I don't want to make this all about 
whether we have a certain percentage of a certain age group or one way or that, that's not what this is about. But this is about the fact that, okay, fine, we don't have, we don't have a certain percentage of younger people. Are we, are we seeing older people get saved? Can I just confess to you? We're not. I'm talking about McConnell Road. I'm not talking about the church at large. I'm talking about McConnell Road Baptist Church. We're not seeing folks come to Christ regardless of age or ethnicity or social status. We're not talking about any of those things. I'm saying we're not seeing that. So if we're not seeing them come to Christ, yet we're also seeing people being led away from Christ, what what is going on there? Now, again, if y'all can't say amen or ouch, I'll say it. Man, that hurts my feelings. Because I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to be responsible that hurts my feelings. But the Bible goes on, or rather Jesus goes on in the scripture here to tell us that if we're a true follower, not only are we going to stop being a stumbling block, but we're going to be willing to take some drastic measures to fix this. Look what he says there. I won't read the whole passage because it's very repetitive here, but it begins in verse 43. He says, where if your hand offends you, cut it off. He goes on to say in the following verses, if your foot offends you, or if your eyes offend you, he's saying if, you, if your hand is going to lead you to sin, what does your hand do? Well, it does things, picks things up, it starts things, it pushes buttons, it goes places, it picks up cell phones, it drives cars. I mean, that's what my, 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 my hands do, it does things. He says, if the things you're doing, is what he's saying, if the things you're doing are contributing to the problem, you need to stop them. He talks about your feet, he says, what do your feet do? They take you places where you go. So he's saying, if the places you're going are contributing to the problem, they're offending people, they're leading people from Christ, you need to stop. He talks about seeing what your eyes are beholding, what you look at. If what you're looking at is offending people, it's leading people from Christ, not to Christ. If it is hurting, if it is not helping, you need to stop. Clearly he's saying stop sin. That's part of what he's saying. If it's sinful, we should stop it. Sin is not permitted. We're supposed to stop sinning. But there's something deeper here saying, asking the question is, what I'm doing, does it promote Jesus Christ or does it obscure him in some way? He's saying in this, he's giving us a contrast. He says, listen, if these things are stopping you, if they're offending you, if they're leading you to sin, stop them. He says, because it is better for thee to enter into life maimed, I'm reading verse 43, than having two hands to go into hell. He's saying here, you've got a choice to make. This is an either-or proposition. You choose one. You're either going to take the world's pleasures. You're either going to take all that the world has to offer, and you're going to get everything your heart desires, and you're going to take it, your arms full, things dripping out of your pockets into eternal damnation for an eternity of judgment. Or you can give it all up and say, I'll take none of the world's pleasures, but I'll take Jesus for eternity. Those are the choices. Now, if you're sitting there listening to me, well, Matthew, make, it, make, it, make Jesus sound better. I can't. That's as good as he is. He's that good that I can't even put words to it. If you need to understand how good Jesus is, read your Bible. Listen to the sermons week after week. But I want you to know, simple, plain English, you're either choosing what you want, all the stuff you want, heap it to yourself, and enjoy damnation for eternity, or 
You're saying, I'll give everything of it up because I want Jesus. That's what he's given you, that choice. He, sat, he is essentially saying that following Jesus is going to be worth anything that this world can offer. It should be worth to you being ashamed. What do I mean by ashamed? We need to be willing to call our sin, sin. Quit hanging on to it and calling it my personality, my background, the way I was raised. If it was sin, it was sin. It was sin. I'm, I'm sorry about your background. I understand that our personalities make things harder. I get those things. But if it's sin, it's sin. So we've got to be willing to stand up and say, yes, I'm a liar. And I know that. And it's wrong. And the Lord's changing my heart. But I want to be transparent with everyone around me that this is a sin that I'm working on in my life. Too many of us are trying to hide, sneak around, hide around, and we look like we're good people, but we're not good people because we are doing bad things behind closed doors when nobody knows about it. But we're not willing to go ahead and bring it out in the open because our pride is too big. We're, we need to be willing to be mocked. You, you stand for the things of Christ. You stand for truth. You stand for right. I don't care what kind of political persuasion you might want to associate yourself with, but you stand for Christ. The right wing is going to hate you. The left wing is going to hate you. The Republicans are going to mock you. The Democrats are going to mock you. The, the, the liberals and the conservatives, they're all going to be against you. The, 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 the Baptist and the Methodist, they're all going to be against you because Christ is a controversial character and he takes you in controversial directions and we have to be willing to be mocked for that. We have to be willing to be hurt and unhappy. <laughs> I think we've somehow bought look, hook, line, and sinker that this thing of following Jesus is about making us happy. It is not about making you happy. It's about saving your soul. You may be happy along the way, and don't get me wrong, you can get happy in Jesus, and I've done that before, and I understand all of that, but that doesn't mean that the overwhelming tenor of your life is going to be happy just because you're a follower of Jesus, because some of the best Christians that you'll ever hear of were burned at the stake. They were put like they were a piece of meat on a fire. They were put on there because they followed Jesus. There's going to be pain that's associated. You know what? Sometimes you're not going to get happy. You're not going to be happy. You may say, well, this choice in life, maybe pursuing this relationship or, or going after this kind of a job or buying this possession is going to make me happy, so therefore I deserve it. Well, from a human perspective, you may well do. You may. Your life may have been horrible up to that point, and this thing is the one thing that your life needs. But if you are in Jesus Christ and that person you're pursuing is not your spouse and you are married, if that thing you're pursuing is going to put you so far in debt you can't see straight, if that, if, that, if that job you're going after is going to pull you away from the things of God, then as a Christian, you're going to say, I might deserve it, but Jesus is more important to me. I'm going to obey my Savior. You may actually find that following Jesus will mean that you're going to be hindered in being your best you, whatever that means. You may not be your best you. You know why? Because you're going to be more interested in what Jesus tells you to do than what your soul, your heart, your feelings, your emotions think you should be doing. And that means you may be unfulfilled in your life because you're willing to give up fulfillment in this life 
for eternal bliss with Jesus Christ in the next. One of the two, you can't have them both. Let me be clear before I finish off this point to say, this is not about being perfect in order to get to heaven. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying, that you have to be perfect in order to go. That's not what I'm saying. It is instead an evidence of a transformed heart. The best way I can illustrate this is that the fact that I don't go on dates with multiple women and don't hang out all hours of the night with lots of young girls, well, some of that has to do with what I look like, but uh, seriously, it's not because, that's not, that, that, at, that fact does not cause me to be married, but it is, I would hope, an evidence of the fact that I am married. Do you understand what I'm saying? That because I love my wife, I choose to devote myself to that relationship instead of pursuing others. Now, if I choose to pursue other relationships, now she might kill me, so that's my, my illustration might break down here. But my point is, if I chose to pursue other relationships, that on its own doesn't necessarily mean I'm no longer married. You understand that? But it is saying that in my heart, I might as well not be married. I might as well not be. And the same comes back to our Savior. When we say we're going to pursue Christ at all costs, that doesn't mean that that's the price of admission. Jesus paid that on the cross. But it does mean that if he's paid that in price of admission, he's so precious to me that I'm willing to shed all this other stuff in order to follow him as my Lord and Savior. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. It is instead better to have nothing and have Jesus than to have it all and prove that you are against God. Of course, if you do what I'm just telling you, you're going to have to anticipate some suffering, which is why this last verse, and I'm, I need to hurry to close here, but I want you to follow along, if you don't mind, please, in verse 49, which is why he says that everyone shall be salted with fire. This is the idea that everyone, everyone, without exception, will experience the fire, the fire of hell, if you choose comfort, if you choose your own liberty, your own desires, your own conveniences, if you choose to gain the whole world but lose your own soul, you will be salted with the fire of hell. You have damnation to look forward to. But he says, though, that everyone will experience the fire, but it's, so it's either going to be punishment in hell for eternity or it's going to be purification for service in this life. The trials of life is what's in view here. You can either choose to follow Christ, or sorry, you can either choose the things of this world and experience hell for eternity, or you can choose to follow Christ, and then your life becomes a sacrifice to the Lord. First Peter talks about the fact that your faith is tried, First Peter 1.7, that your faith can be tried with fire, so that it might be found in praise and honor and glory at the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 12 that we are to give our bodies a living sacrifice that's wholly acceptable unto God. So we need to be, be, be willing to anticipate that when we follow Jesus in this way, it is necessarily going to be a sacrifice, but your sacrificial living may make all of the difference. Go, go with me to the last verse in the passage. Salt is good, he says. I like that. Salt is good. I like salt. I, and Maybe some of us like it a little more than others, but we have to be honest about it. We all like it on some level. Maybe you like it a little more, maybe you like it a little less, but we all like it because if you've tried anything that doesn't have any salt in it, 
You need some kind of spice. Take, take your salt out because maybe you, your blood pressure or whatever gets out of, out of whack. But you got to put something in it, you know, some Tabasco or something. I don't know, something in there. You got to do something because it's, whoo, stuff without salt. So salt is good, and it is good. It's been good through not just for me and my life, but through the ages. I mean, this is an ancient, ancient spice. It's not the right word. Thing. Seasoning, I guess is a better word. Ancient seasoning. It's been used for, for centuries, for, for millennia. And he says salt is good because what salt does is it preserves. But not as much of an issue today, but in previous generations, I mean, without refrigeration and things like that, you need the salt to kind of preserve your foods. Salt also provides some of the flavor of life. It provides some hope <laughs> that everything doesn't have to be bland. It tastes good. So he says there that salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltness, wherewith will it, you season it? He's saying that you as a disciple are to be salt in this world preserve this world from judgment you say well i can't save anybody you're right but god left you here to be salt to show this world that there is judgment to come and you have an opportunity to show them that and to provide hope and to provide help to provide something extra that this world that they could you imagine let me just bring this point to you can you imagine we believe here that the that the lord is soon to come back and there will, come, there will come a day where the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to be taken out of here, something called the rapture. We believe that. But can you imagine when that rapture takes place and we disappear from this earth, will anybody notice that McConnell Road Baptist Church folk ain't here anymore? And what I mean by that is, and if they notice it, will it be a good notice? Not like a, man, I sure am glad he's gone. Not that kind of a notice. I'm talking about a good notice. Will they even notice? Will they? This is the point. You, you give me my baked potato and you say you can't have any salt on that, I'm going to notice. I'm going to notice that. I'm going to know. You might not notice it, but I'm going to notice that. I'm going to pay attention to that. I need a little salt on that baked potato. Give it to me. Here we have that the world needs to recognize that when we are here, we're here helping them, providing something to them. It reminds me of Lot over in Genesis chapter 18. Remember Lot? He was Abraham's nephew. And he goes to Sodom. He's in Sodom. Do y'all remember this story? Okay. So Lot's over there. And God wants to destroy Sodom for their sin. But he goes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want to I destroy this city. And Abraham says, no, that's where Lot is. Could you save him? And he, he negotiates down with, with the Lord. They negotiate down to how many people. But the main thing I want you to understand from that is, do you know why God didn't destroy Sodom like that? Because Lot was there. Because Lot was there. In fact, he didn't destroy Sodom till Lot got out. And Lot wasn't even that good of a man. <laughs> but he was one of the lords, and the Lord got him out. So this city was preserved until Lot leaves. The bad news is I don't believe that Lot gave them a whole lot of hope or help in the process of being there. He was actually part of the problem. In this world that we live in, it's a mess. Can I get somebody to agree that it's a mess out there? It's an absolute mess. It's, it, it, people are in turmoil, and what's worse is us Christians are kind of, we're buying into it along with them. We're as scared and we're as upset and we're as disturbed as they are. 
But this world is a mess. And you know what this world's mess represents for us? An opportunity for us to serve in new and unique ways. This is something we've got to get a hold of, church. We've got to figure out how is it that instead of how do we survive, how do we actually contribute to this society that is now radically different, radically changed? It has. We can like it, we can lump it, we can whatever we want to do with it, but this world's different than it was six, eight months ago. It's a different world. How are we going to operate with them? How are we going to help them? How are we going to, we are here, so obviously God's judgment is being held back until we are gone, but when, as long as we're here, why are we here? What are we doing? We've been called to do something, and we can either have a selfish life or a sacrificial one. Selfish life in which we discourage people, we tear them down, we lead them to death, or we can encourage them and we can build them up and we can point them to the eternal life of Jesus. Which one are we going to do? Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.